The Lord said to Abraham, "Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you." So Abraham left, and the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his、uh, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of. Moray, and、uh, at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, "To your offsprings I will give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and、uh, pitched his tent. With Bethel、uh, on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward Negev.、Uh, now there was a、uh, now there is a farm famine. Sorry, there is a farm famine. In the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt and to live there for a while, because of the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, "I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, 'This is his wife,' and then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my sister." So that I will be treated well, for your sake, and my my life will be、uh, spared. Oh, spared. Sorry, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came、uh, come to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that、uh, she was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her. They praised to her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his place. So、uh, he treated Abraham well for his, for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and the camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she's my sister, so that I took her、uh, to be my wife? Now then, here is here is your wife. Take her and go. So Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Thanks, Yen. Thanks for reading that passage.、Um, 
Firstly, I must apologise tonight. Not only tonight you'll have to bear with my Aussie accent, you have to bear with my man flu voice, okay? So just bear with it. But why don't you take a moment, turn around, welcome each other, grab an outline as well, um, and I'll call you back in in a moment. Okay, friends, uh, let's begin. I'd like to begin tonight with a question, and that is, what are the things that give humanity hope? What are the things that give humanity hope? What are the things that give our, our generation, the next generation, hope? What are the things that give our nation and this world hope? Well, people will have all sorts of different answers. Some answers might be like this. For some, hope comes from education. Hope comes from education if we make sure that everyone gets a good education. We put money into it, we invest in it, we support education. That will give everyone hope if they get a good education. And that is the hope for humanity. But now let me ask you, is education really the thing that will give hope to humankind, to humanity? I mean, if we are educated, what might result? Well, we'll be more educated people. We might have better lives, become better people, maybe less people in prison, less criminals. Is that the case when we become more educated, as society becomes more educated? Well, I suspect no. You see, all you get is educated, sinful people. You get educated criminals. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not to say that I'm not for education, I am all for education. In fact, Christians should be for education. In fact, if you look historically, literacy rises with the rise of Protestant Christianity. And that's because of our commitment that all Christians should be able to read the Bible for themselves. And so we are for education. But is education really the hope for humanity? In fact, even if you look at Australian history, all the schools that were started, all the first schools that were started in our our nation were started by churches. We are for education. But is education the hope for humanity? Or some might say that it is the advances in medicine that is the hope for humanity. If we continue to commit to medical research, we'll be able to find cures for all the world's diseases. This is the hope for humanity if we commit Commit to medical research, medical advances. Now, what do you think? Well, I'm all for this. Advances in medicine has been phenomenal. Now, with this man flu, I can take some tablet, someone tells me to take, cold and flu tablet, and that is somehow meant to make me feel better. Hasn't yet, but it's meant to. All the things that doctors are able to do today, quite amazing. So, I'm all for medical advances but also realise the flip side of medical advances. 
with advances in medicine comes also things like medicine that will more, more quickly kill unborn fetuses, unborn babies. And so is medicine the hope for humanity? Is that what we should be striving for, putting our money towards, praying for? This is the hope for us. Now, remember, I'm, I'm not against medical advances. I'm for medical advances. I'm all for more effective medicine. But the matter is that advances in medicine will not change the fact that I'll get old one day, my skin will start to sag, and I'll die. It can't help with that. Or for some people, it is the hope for humanity. It is technological advances. As technology gets better, life will be better. That is the hope for all humanity. What do you think? That is the hope. Well, with advances in technology, what has happened is we have learnt to be friends without being friends, if you know what I mean. We've learnt to, um, uh, we've learnt to not learn to like, do things like meet face to face and perhaps even talk to each other because of all this social media and, and, and Facebook. So has technology advancement been of help? Is that the hope for humanity? And so what do you think is the hope for humanity? What is it that will give us real hope? You see, humanity, as we've been seeing over the last two weeks already, humanity and the whole created order is broken. Creation at the beginning was created perfect. Remember how we... We saw this first one, the pattern of the kingdom. Creation was perfect at the beginning, but then very quickly, life became upside down. It was turned upside down and is now not as it's meant to be. And so when you, we look around the world and observe the world, when we see people lying and cheating and stealing and killing, that's not the way life is meant to be. It wasn't God's plan right at the beginning. When we see things like people getting sick and ill, that is not the way life is meant to be. When we see the wicked people prospering and the righteous suffering, that is not the way life is meant to be. You see, this is all part of this broken world, this damaged world that we are all a part of. And so this is what we saw last week, remember? With the fall of Adam and Eve and so the fall of humanity, them eating the fruit of which God told them not to eat, in doing that, not only did they disobey God, but they did something more serious, and that was they lusted for God's throne. And in one sense, what they did was they dethroned God and they claimed, I am God. I make the decisions. I decide between right and wrong. I don't need to depend on you anymore. And so they made themselves God, deified themselves. So this was last week. And so this is the heart of the human problem, to claim autonomy, to claim independence from God. We were never made to be independent. We were made to be dependent on him always. But when we claim independence and autonomy, all relationships, all moral order was broken. Between God and man, remember that? We were friends. Adam and Eve were, God, Adam and Eve were friends with God. They became enemies. Between the man and woman, they, there was perfect intimacy. But then there became, then conflict came into that relationship. And even between man and creation, there was harmony there, but that too was broken. Harmony was turned into chaos. And so the world as it is now, as we see, as we have seen from Genesis 3, is not the way it's meant to be. Now today, what we'll be seeing is, between Genesis 3 and Genesis 12, which we'll be looking at today, 
What we actually see in that passage is that humanity has have gone from worse to worse. There's this downward spiral of the wickedness of humanity. We see humanity fall into greater weakness, greater sin, greater evilness. In chapter 4, a quick summary, chapter 4 we see the first murder. The firstborn son kills the secondborn son. Cain kills Abel. In chapter 4 we meet, meet another guy named Lamech. He murders someone and he's in fact proud of it. And then by chapter 6, by the time of Noah, every inclination and thought of man was evil all the time in his heart. And then the flood happened. God tried to clean it up. And then by Genesis 11, this wickedness, this spiralling continued to go downwards. By Genesis 11, humanity banded together in the building of the Tower of Babel. And why did they do that? Well, rather than being happy with being made in the image of God, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to claim the position of God. They did it in opposition to God. And so, as a result, God confused them and scattered them around. And so, by this time, we're up to Genesis 12 today, the kingdom of God, God's people in God's place under God's rule is nowhere to be seen. There is no one, no place, and God rules in judgment. And so, if this is the case from Genesis 3, and if this is still the case today, the big problem of humanity comes from a hope that will deal with this problem of humanity. Hope comes from dealing with this bigger problem of humanity. And what that means is that education cannot help. It cannot reverse the moral order of this world. Medical advances, technological advances cannot help this corrupted, destroyed, broken world. And so what needs to happen? So by Genesis 12, everything is a mess. What needs to happen? What will give humanity hope? Well, when we turn to Genesis 12 now, I'd like like you to look at Genesis 12. We come to our very first verse and we see this hope for humanity. We see the hope for humanity. And that is, the Lord God spoke. The Lord God spoke. The same God who at the beginning said, let there be light. And there was. The same God who at the beginning said, let there be sky and sea and animals. And there was that same God who spoke with those powerful words. He now says in chapter 12, when everything is a mess, everything is a broken, he speaks into this mess of humanity, into the brokenness of the created order, the Lord spoke. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, and what did he say? What is the hope? Well, he made promises to restore his kingdom. So the kingdom that was destroyed in Genesis 3, he now promises that this will be reversed. And so what we're seeing today is this pledge God makes with not just one man, what we'll see is that it's a pledge that is made to all humanity, these promises. And these promises we'll see today will be the promises that will in fact shape the rest of the Old Testament and also the rest of the New Testament. These promises are quite central to Scripture. They shape the rest of Scripture. It was perfect at the beginning, destroyed at the fall, such that there were no people, no place, only judgment. Now these promises to Abraham will come to reverse that, reverse the curse, reverse the fall. And so let's have a look at these promises. Now remember how we've been looking and tracing through the Bible, the theme of the kingdom of God. Remember the Bible written by many people, many books, many subjects, 
But yet, ultimately, it is just one book, one story, with one ultimate author on one ultimate subject, and that is the subject of his son, Jesus Christ. How God will supremely bring salvation through his own son, Jesus Christ. That is the big picture. And so today we're seeing part of that, the promises that will reverse what happened in Genesis 3. And so firstly, what's the first promise God makes to this man? Well, firstly, God promises about God's people. Remember the kingdom of God thing, God's people in God's place under God's rule. So, God's people. So, out of the mess of humanity, one man, Abram, he was singled out. He was singled out to be the chosen head of a family through whom God will bring restoration, will bring a reversal of what happened at the fall. God will bring a renewal of his kingdom. And that's why Abram, he's called Abram at this time, later on he's renamed Abraham, and that's because Abraham means the father of a multitude. That will be part of the promise. Now, Abraham here was chosen, Abram at this time, he was chosen not because of any real good, inherent, uh, inherent goodness in him, he was not chosen because he was the most righteous man around. We only actually have to read to the end of this chapter to, to see that Abraham was just as flawed as any other human being. But you see, Abraham here was chosen simply and purely by God's grace. That is God's unmerited favour on this one man to bring this blessing to the world. And so what's the promise? Look at verse 2. God promises Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God will make this one man's name great. will make him into a great nation. Now this contrasts with what just happened in the previous chapter in Genesis 11. Just a chapter earlier in the Tower of Babel, humanity wanted to make a, a, great, a big name for themselves, uh, wanted to become a great nation in opposition of God, without God. And that was, of course, futile. All human nations that we create and form and build up will always be messed up. All nations that humans build up, all empires that humans build up will always be messed up. And if you just consider human history, you see this all the time. The Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Chinese Empire, even the British Empire. They'll last, they'll be in the limelight for a moment and then they'll be gone. Human empires, human nations that we build up will always be messed up. But here, what we're seeing here is God's promise that he is building a nation and the nation that he will build will be different. And so Abram will be great one day. He'll be great and even if you think about that today, about 4,000 years later, Abraham's name is still great amongst so many in the world. I mean, amongst three of the big religions of the world. For Christians, Abraham is a, is a big figure. For Jews, Abraham is a big figure. Even for Muslims, Abraham is a big figure. His name is great. God's promise right there then, 4,000 years ago, still that way today. But something that will become apparent later in Genesis is that there's a big problem to this big promise of God. A huge problem, uh, problem in fact. And that is his wife, Abram's wife, Sarai at this time, she was 65 years old already when this promise was made. Now, I don't know about you, but women at 65 don't normally give birth or can't normally give birth or shouldn't normally give birth. 
She was 65, but not only that, not only was she old, she was already barren. And so how can Abraham become a great nation? How can he be a blessing to this world if he does not even have a wife who could bear children? If he doesn't even have a son of his own? And so you can just imagine him thinking at this time, God is making this massive promise to him. He's 75, Sarai is 65. They're probably thinking, God, are you pulling our leg here? We are old. You are confused. How can this be? But yet, the hope for humanity is sort of like encapsulated in the barrenness of Sarai. But yet, the hope for humanity comes in this promise. God promised him he will be great, his name will be great, and he will become a great nation. And so as we read the Bible, as we continue in this series, we see this, this promise unfold. We're looking out for how it unfolds. So that's the first one. God's people, it will be Abraham, his descendants. Second, we have now here the promise about God's place. Remember the kingdom of God theme? God's people in God's place under God's rule. So God's place, look at verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, Abram wasn't told here where he was going. He wasn't told here where he will live, what land he will inherit, apart from that he will get it. And he will become a great nation there. Later we find out that this land is the land of Canaan. So this is God's promise. But another big problem, there were already people living in that land. And so as we hear this promise, as we realise the the reality of that big problem, as we read the Bible, we're trying to see how this promise will unfold. That's the second one, God's place, the the land of Canaan. The third one, God's rule. Finally, we have promises about God's rule. Look at verse 3 now. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God here promises to bless not only Abraham, but he promises to bless everyone who blesses him. And so if you set yourself up against Abraham, that is to set yourself up against God himself. And that's why later in this chapter, if you, if you recall us in the reading, at the end of chapter 12, we read of this funny story between Abram and his wife and the Pharaoh. Abram lying about his wife, not being his wife, but just his sister. And so Pharaoh somehow, somehow, I don't understand, seeing a 65-year-old woman, he was excited and took her for his wife. And somehow that happened. And then what happened when God discovered? Well, he was inflicted, wasn't he? Inflicted with some serious disease by God. Now, why would God do that? I mean, he didn't know. Abram said that this lady was his sister, not his wife. Well, you see, it's showing there this promise already working itself out. To be against Abram, to be against Abraham is to be against God. And so that Pharaoh was cursed. So God promises here to bless all people, bless all who blesses Abraham. But now what we also see in this promise is that these promises, right from the beginning, though they are to one man, they are in fact universal. You see, the focus was not simply on Abraham, but all peoples. Do you see that in verse 3? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, this is how God will start to restore the kingdom. This is how God will start to reverse the curse and the fall. 
God promises, makes these promises to one man, but it is for all people. You see, these promises also show that God is still committed to humankind. His commitment to Abraham shows his commitment to humankind. Though we are messed up, Adam and Eve in their fallenness and the rest of humanity in their fallenness, God making this promise shows his commitment despite the weakness and evil that was going on. And so God nonetheless remained committed to his creation, remained committed to the people he created as messed up as they were. And so God wants to bless God's people, Abraham and his descendants, God's place. We'll get a hint later on as we read through Genesis, Canaan. And God's rule, where he rules, he wants to bless. Bless Abraham, bless all those who bless him. Everyone. It is universal. That was the intention right from the beginning. And so now if we think about the kingdom of God theme again, it was perfect, remember? Perfect at the beginning. Fallen by Genesis 3. What hope is there for all humanity? They're all wicked and evil. Well, the hope comes in God's promise. God speaks into human history, into the brokenness of this world, and this is how God will restore the world. This is how God will restore creation. This is the way in which God will reverse the curse and the fall. And so here lies, in this chapter, right in Genesis 12, the hope for humanity, the hope for the world not in what we're able to do ourselves, not in education or technology or medical advancement. It lies in the very promises of God. How will it unfold as we go through the Bible? But you see, it lies here in God's grace to one man, but remember it is universal right from the beginning. One man for all nations, all peoples, that is the aim. And so as we read the Bible, and we're trying to work out how these promises will slowly unfold. And so if we now, what we'll do is we'll recap the kingdom of God theme, how it develops, okay, over the past several weeks. Remember, we're trying to see the Bible as one story, God's the ultimate author on one ultimate subject, his son. Okay, so let's see if you remember this. The pattern of the kingdom, Genesis 1 and 2. Who were God's people there? Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve. Very good. Okay, what about God's place? Where was that? Garden? Garden of Eden. What about God's rule? God ruled to bless and there was this relationship with God. Okay, Genesis 3. We see the perish kingdom. Now, who were God's people there? There was no one, right? Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. What about God's place? Where was that? There was nowhere as well. Right? The people were kicked out, kicked out of God's place. And what about God's rule? What was that like? Well, God ruled in judgment and death reigned. And that's what we see. Death became the reality after this. Okay, today we see the promised kingdom. This is the hope for all humanity. It started there right in Genesis 12. Who were God's people? Or Abraham's descendants. Okay, that will be fleshed out as we work through this series. It will be fleshed out more and more. God's place, well, it's the land of Canaan. And what about God's rule? Well, God's rule is to be a blessing to Israel and the nations. Okay, so this is the picture so far. We're going to develop this over the weeks. But remember, we're trying to see that this is one big story. God had this plan right from the beginning. 
And so when we come to Jesus later on, he was no second plan. He was already in God's mind from the beginning. Okay, so let's come to these promises we've looked at today. God's people in God's place under God's rule. You see, these promises we see in Genesis 12 shape and dominate, in fact, not only the rest of Scripture, not only the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament, in fact, these promises shape all human history. He actually shapes what has happened in human history. You see, the promise we're seeing today in Genesis 12 is not just a Christian thing. It's not just a Jewish thing. The promise we're seeing in Genesis 12 is in fact a human thing. It's for all humanity. And so as we read, and as we read of human history, as we read of the Old and New Testament, we're trying to figure out where and when and how these blessings will come to all peoples. We're trying to figure out how would this happen? How will God do this? And we're also trying to figure out how will God remain to these promises which seem so difficult even at this time. And we're trying to figure out how God will rescue this world out of this curse, out of this fallenness, out of this brokenness into the kingdom that he wants. And so in our story, what did Abram do? What did Abram do when God made these promises? Because Abram, you see, becomes a model of those who will be part of this kingdom. So what did Abram do? Well, we must understand how big of an ask this was for Abram. It was a huge ask for him to leave his home, to leave his family, that is to leave all sense of security, to risk everything he had on a promise. Would you do that? If someone promised you something, leave your family, your home, leave all your security, would you do that just on a promise? He, he, he was told to go somewhere, not even knowing where this was at this stage. He was told to, in a sense, become a nomad, to live his life as a nomad in a tent. Now, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I don't like living in tents, for, for not even for a week on camp. But he was told to live on a camp, be a nomad, go to some land, God will tell him. He was asked to leave. Just trust me, God says. Just trust me and all these promises will be yours. Now, what did Abram do? Remember, what Abram did here becomes a model of those who become part of the kingdom of God. So, what did he do? Verse 4. So, Abram left, as the Lord had told him. He said he banked all his, uh, all his, uh, banked everything on the promises of God. He risked everything on the promises of God. And so, somehow, beyond reason, beyond understanding, beyond comprehension, these promises seem so impossible. His, his wife's barren. Canaan's already inherited by some other nation. How is this possible? But yet what did he do? He threw himself at the mercy of God. He threw himself at the, the grace of God. And he trusted God. He left. And later in the New Testament in Romans, we actually read, because Abraham believed at this time, he could not see what that, those promises would look like. But because he believed, it was credited to him as righteousness. And so what we're hearing there is the beginning of the reversal of the curse and the fall. You see, with the curse and the fall, the relationship is broken between God and man. But because he believed, it was the beginning of the restoration of the kingdom of God. He was declared righteous. 
he was credited as righteous. That means that he had a right relationship with God. He got to enjoy what Adam and Eve had at the beginning in the garden. And so what we see there and what we see here is the beginning of the reversal of the curse and the fall. But you see, these promises, as I've already said, not only shape the rest of the Bible, they in fact shape human history. And these promises are not just a Christian thing, these promises are a human thing. They are for all humanity. Because this here is our only hope. Not in what we can do, what we can achieve, but it lies in the God who made us and the God who makes these promises. And so when we ask now, what hope is there for humanity? I mean, as we consider the world, the brokenness, the corruption, the evilness, the wickedness, the messed up world that we are in, what hope is there? We're not going to find it in education, becoming smarter, learning more. We will not find hope there. We'll find more sinful, smarter criminals. (laughs) You won't find hope in better education. You won't find hope in better technology or better medicine. No matter how advanced we get, that is not where hope for humanity is to be found. In fact, we find hope in the one who made these promises. We find hope in the one who made humanity. We find hope in the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. We find hope in his promises to us. That is important to remember. You see, even at this stage, if we take God out of the picture, the thing that holds me, that keeps me as human, the, the thing that I live for and keeps me living are, at this time anyway, if we take God out of the picture, are the promises Yvonne made to me and the promises I made to her. These promises keep us going. And so even when I'm sick, she's there, she's going to care for me, she's not going to run out. These promises keep us together, keeps me human, keeps me sane, what I hold on to. And so if I were to get even more sick, I know she's going to be there. She made those promises. Today she made me some nice honey, lemon, I don't know what drink, but I drank it. (laughs) Meant to make me feel better, hasn't yet. Uh, She tells me to suck it up anyway, but I know she loves me. (laughs) But you see, these promises just keep me sane, keeps me human, helps me understand what it means to be human, what I'm connected with and the relationship we have. But how much better are the promises of the one who made us? I mean, our promise in marriage will end one day. When we die, the covenant is broken. The promise is broken. She's free to remarry if I die first. I don't want to think about the other way around. But anyway, how much better are the promises of the one who made us? These are his promises to us, that he will restore creation, Restore the kingdom of God. He will reverse the curse, reverse the fall. This is where we find hope for humanity. Not in what we can do, not in what you can do, not what in this world can do. We find it in the promises of God. And you know what? Living on this side of the cross of Christ, living this side 4,000 years after Abraham, we actually have seen how God has in fact done that. God has shown us where the hope is to be found. You see, about 2,000 years after Abraham, God sent his very own son, Jesus Christ. He is the one where all these promises point to. All these promises are fulfilled in. In fact, all these promises become clearer and larger and greater in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. You see, God's people at this time, we're, we're just thinking Abraham's descendants. 
Now, it seems quite limited still. It's just a nation of Israel. But they get larger and bigger in Christ. God's people become all those who respond the same way that Abraham did. Responds to God's promise by faith, in trusting in him. And not only are they people of God, those who respond in this way become the children of God. That is God's promise, enlarged in Christ. God's place. It's no longer this land of Canaan as we look forward to Christ. It becomes something far better, far greater, something that will last into eternity and that is heaven itself. That is God's place. And God's rule, well, not just blessings that that we enjoy in this world, but blessings like forgiveness and redemption and divine love and eternal life. Those are the things we actually now see looking back to Christ where all these promises find its focus and fulfilment. And so now when we ask, what hope is there for humanity? I mean, I don't know about you, but if you read the news, watch the news, it's a messed up world. Things are just not the way it's meant to be. It is messed up. Try to describe it in a way that it's just an illusion will not make sense of reality. It's messed up. What hope is there for humanity? In fact, why don't we just ask, what hope is there for for you and me? Let's bring it a bit more personal. What hope is there for me when hope seems to have gone out the window? What hope is there for me when despair creeps into my life? What hope is there for me when doubt seeps into my mind? These are the things that Christians will experience. These are the things you will experience. Even Christians, we are no different. There will be times when life just feels unbearable. And that might be now. There will be times when life just feels so painful. And that might be now. There will be times in life when life just feels a total mess. And that might be now. There are times in life when life just feels despairing and hopeless. And that might be now. I mean, Christians, we experience the same things as non-Christians. We will get sick. We'll get the the man flu. We'll get illnesses. We'll get diseases. We'll get the cancers that strikes down non-Christians. Christians, the same thing. What hope is there for me when those things happen to me? What hope is there for you when those things happen to you? What do you have to hang on to? What do we have to hang on to? Well, you can try to grab at being smarter or better medical technology and advances, better technology, we can grab at that, but that's not where hope is to be found. Hope is to be found in the one who made us and he did not leave us alone, but he spoke into human history, he spoke into our history and he made these wonderful promises. He made these promises that will last even beyond the grave. And so where do I find hope for humanity? I trust, like Abram, in the promises of God for me. Because when I do, though I suffer through life, God as my heavenly Father will never change. Though I, as I strive and persevere through life, and though I may even die, my home is in heaven. I know where I'll be going. Though I might, might leave this world in, in a good way or bad way, I know that eternal life is mine now already. These are the promises of God. If we respond like Abram, trusting in God, they are ours. And if you really think about this, 
I, I say this to you know people I share the gospel with. I can't actually imagine living life as not a Christian without God in my life. That is impossible when things happen, when these things happen. What do you have to hang on to? You've got nothing. And whatever you're hanging on to is just an illusion. But we have God who's spoken to our history, made these wonderful promise and we can trust him and they will be ours. So as we struggle through life, as we persevere through life, as we even enjoy life, we do that trusting in the promises of God for us. That is the hope for humanity. There's nothing more than that. There's nothing less than that. That is our hope. So will you bank on the promises of God for you? Let's pray.